there'd be a lot of factors in there. Some of it has to do with the other pitchers, you know, in the rotation and, you know, how it shakes out. There's a lot of factors there. It's, I just take comfort in knowing both those guys are capable of doing the job. Uh, it'll all figure into it, but, uh, you know, they're both going to pitch for us this year in a starting role. I think that, in my mind, is almost a given. But uh, I think we make so much of, and, and I understand the reasons why, from a fan standpoint of, you know, is Nemo going to start the season? Who's going to be in the rotation to start the season? It's, it's, I look at it in a lot bigger picture than that. edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Monday, March the 20th, 2023. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at the TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. And you can check me out on Instagram, Talking Mets No G. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the Fan Sided Podcasting Network, as well as RisingApple.com. Welcome to another edition, the Grapefruit League edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I figured I'd give you guys another 24 hours to get over the Edwin Diaz therapy. Time to move on. We will get into picking up the pieces with the bullpen. You're not ready to just throw that away. Take another peek at the bullpen. Now that we've had time to marinate, no, I am not putting scenarios out there where Edwin Diaz comes back in September. I know that Will Salmon over at The Athletic did a nice piece. It looks like Diaz with Steve Cohen, with the nutritionist and the physical therapist and everything that they did to react as quickly as possible to this terrible incident with him tearing his patella tendon on the mound uh, uh, in the WBC. The Mets put them in as him as good of a situation as possible to come back on the earlier of the timelines, which I still believe is not going to be enough. So we're not going to get into that, but that's good news, and and there you go. David Peterson, Tyler McGill, you heard Buck coming in. They're both going to pitch. I'm going to tell you who on a consistent basis I would pick. I've already kind of told you it, but I know that now this week there was some news that came out that the Mets prefer McGill. I'll tell you why that's a, a bad idea. Is the roster set with Brandon Nimmo's injury, which thankfully is not serious? The last thing I wanted to do is come back to back Thunderbolts within a weekend. If Nimmo doesn't make the opening day roster, should Tim LeCastro get a look? And is LeCastro a name that will have an impact? And there is a skill set that LeCastro has. And if he's learned to hit a little bit, can he be somebody that the Mets could rely upon a little bit? I'll talk about that. And we'll round out, round out. I'm sure we'll have some fun and round out and so on and so forth. We're not going to make it too long tonight as we head off to the end of spring training. So this is the time of spring training, like I said. We're really kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel. If it wasn't for Diaz, it might be a sleepy part of the spring training uh, program here, so to speak. But I'll start with the whole starting rotation situation and the fifth starter. So we all know that... Both Tyler McGill and David Peterson are going to get starts. And probably you're going to see something from Jose Buto. You may see openers, maybe Joey Lucchese. Let's hope there's no more injuries. I know Jose Quintana's out 
uh, at least half the year. And quite honestly, uh, worst case scenario, and I talked about this when the news first came down a couple of weeks ago at Quintana, I see Quintana's season this year going very similarly to Carlos Carrasco, veteran pitcher, crazy spring training situation with Carrasco was a hamstring, not getting off the ground until late in the season, amping it up late in the season, being thrown into the mix late in the season. Now, maybe he becomes that veteran pitcher that you'd want to acquire at the deadline. They already have him. It's possible, and that's great. Let's hope for that. That's that's something that would be nice. But more appropriately, I believe that Quintana is going to be a guy that, quite honestly, is never going to get on track. I'm not sure we're going to get anything out of him at all this year. So that makes Peterson and McGill that much more important. And the more I look and I dive into it, and I watched Peterson yesterday, and he didn't have his best stuff. He talked about it, walked way too many batters. And I think in like 12 or 13 innings this spring, he's walked eight batters. So the walks continue to be out of control. But when you look at the profile of these two guys, and I look at Peterson, and I'll start with him there. If Let's first go back to last year. You know, we've talked about this, but I want to reiterate this. Peterson, typically, on a large percentage of his, his starts, he'd get into maybe the fifth, sixth inning. There was a couple of starts where he was okay, maybe four innings, four and a third, four and two-thirds, three, four runs, and then, you know, the bullpen would come in. He wasn't giving you a lot of length, but when Chris Bassett, took over as the ace, and Max Scherzer went down, uh, Peterson started to give you some decent innings. He started to give you some decent performances. I remember, I think, right after Scherzer went down, they went out to the West Coast. I think it was San Francisco, and Peterson gave them a great outing out there in San Francisco, which I thought was really important, especially at the time when Bassett was struggling. I went to Baseball Savant, and I said, let me really take a look statistically at David Peterson. How does his expected stats... And, you know, a lot of this stuff, the expected stats, you want to throw it in the garbage. It's quality of contact, expected batting average against, you know, uh, expected on base average, which is ultimately mainly, you know, the amount of runners on base is what you want to look at, expected ERA, so on and so forth. So, you know, when you start to look at where Peterson in his, uh, you know, short time, there's a couple of things. First, the Cubs outing in September, where he went a third of an inning, gave it five runs, really put a hurt on his ERA, almost a half a run on his ERA. He has a somewhat good outing there that night. He has an ERA around 3.50, a really solid 3.50 ERA, and he actually pitched fairly well out of the bullpen after that outing. So Peterson rebounded from that pretty pretty well. Horrible outing, timing was awful. We talked about this already. But when you start to look at where Peterson is expected to be in the rotation, which is that four to five starter, now, Quintana, as much as we want to believe that Quintana that came over to St. Louis, pitched as a top-of-the-rotation guy, historically throughout his career, he's been a number three, three-and-a-half, four guy. You know, he's had, you know, six innings, three runs is more of his norm. The Cubs acquired him down the stretch after they won the World Series to kind of shore up their rotation. Um, so, you know, there has been a history and a long history with Quintana. And I know he's made some changes with his repertoire when he went to St. Louis. But the long history says to me that what the Mets got is a veteran that could give you six innings, three runs, a better version of Carlos Carrasco, and maybe, quite honestly, more like another Taiwan Walker at less years. That's that's really what I think the Mets are aiming for. And we've talked about this a, a bunch of times. 
Walker and Carrasco were not good, either one of them, against teams above 500, where Quintana was a little bit better. Peterson didn't have that variability. Now, at Peterson, when you look at his numbers and you look at him from a standpoint versus like type of pitchers, when you look at him at expected on base average, expected ERA, you know, he's really right there with Carlos Carrasco. Maybe he's a tick above Taiwan Walker. I already talked about that one outing, really skewed the numbers a little bit. His expected WOBA, XWOBA, is right there with Walker and Peterson, uh, Peterson and Walker and Carrasco. You know, it's about 308 to 313. Um, he's really right there. So when you look at peripherals of Peterson and you start to look at him in that context, the Mets pretty much have a picture that those advanced analytics fall into the same batch of pitchers like a Marcus Stroman, like a Kyle Wright, um, like a Jordan Montgomery, uh, Frankie Montas before he got hurt. I mean, he's fallen into that that area. And these are names, let's say last year, I know Montas is hurt, but Jordan Montgomery became available on the market hypothetically, and the Mets are in a pitching need. You might be interested in a guy like that. Michael, Michael Kopech, Marcus Stroman, uh, Johnny Cueto. I'm just giving you names, so on and so forth. And the only reason you're not really crazy about Peterson is because you've seen him grow up. You've seen him struggle. And let me tell you something about David Peterson. The thing that's holding him back, in my opinion, from going a little bit deeper and from being uh, maybe more of a number three is, is the walks. The walks are what is killing David Peterson. And it's still too high, and it's high in spring training, and it's high against, in some cases, 4A-level talent. So it's only going to get harder when the season starts and the bell rings. But this is what you got. And quite honestly, if right now, with without Quintana, if you told me somebody that falls into the Taiwan Walker, Marcus Stroman, Jordan Montgomery batch of pitchers out there is who you got, that ain't bad at all. Because, look, I warmed up to Quintana when I heard about the signing. My first reaction was, really? But you know me, I wanted Chris Bassett. I really wanted the Mets to go for the gusto with Chris Bassett because I thought Chris Bassett was a gamer. I thought Chris Bassett was a, an innings guy, a guy that could give you top-of-the-rotation stuff. Mets disagree. When you start to go to the Tyler McGill, and you could say, Mike, but the Mets, and you, I saw, I think it was the New York Post, and I'm not sure if it was Mike Puma, but the Mets prefer McGill. McGill had that sub-2 ERA. He started an opening day for DeGrom. He looked like DeGrom a lot during the first month of the season. Yeah, that's Tyler McGill. Not great mechanics, shoulder issues last year, awful after April. And McGill is a guy, to me, doesn't do well against left-handers. I know he's trying to work on that by incorporating a curveball. Largely a fastball guy, fastball slider guy. He's a two-pitch pitcher for the most part that many thought when he came up wouldn't be able to navigate a, a lineup for the third time. Uh, doesn't have, in my opinion, the strikeout pitch that Peterson slider is. So out of the two of them, the guy that has the elite, in some cases, almost 50%, you're going into Edwin Diaz territory, strikeout pitch of the slider, is Peterson. McGill, to me, throughout his career, is going to be one of these guys that show flashes of brilliance, is going to make you think, wow, he really could be a part of this rotation, and he could be a guy that could give you number three level, maybe number two level performance. I mean, let's face it, the first month of the season last year, McGill really didn't make you miss Jacob deGrom. Now, I'm not saying he's Jacob deGrom. I'm not saying that. But he made you not really feel Jacob DeGrom that first month of the season. When you thought it was possible that Jake would come back in June, he gave you one month, check off the box, 
Mets survived one month with very little downgrade. But then he got hurt. His mechanics are rough. And he never unwound from that. And and then he came out of the bullpen late in the year. And that's not a role that he seems to have done well with. So I think when you look at the two of these guys, when you start to really boil it down, Peterson is a guy, if I had to predict, he'll figure it out, get his stuff together. He will be frustrating. He will be inconsistent. He will have outings like he had against the Cubs, where he just doesn't have it. And it's going to affect his total numbers. But I think Peterson's a guy, and I even like this. If you remember, one of the things I talked about during the pandemic season was I liked his moxie. When he got runners on base, he bended. He didn't break. He did get hurt in 2021. He took a step back in 2021. But it seems to last year I felt he moved forward. So if you get that kind of guy, that guy that falls somewhere between Walker and Carrasco, Quintana and Carrasco, because I think Carrasco is a fifth starter veteran type. That's what I really think he is at this point in his career. Then you have yourself a solid pitcher. Now, yeah, I know I heard Bach. The Mets are going to probably use six starters. They're going to give McGill some opportunities. Maybe at times they piggyback the two guys. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's an option at some point. You know, doubleheader where they want to get some innings and they don't want to use an opener or something like that. Um, you know, but to me, that is where I see Peterson. And that's why I think Peterson is going to be the guy. And, and I will say, and it's come true. The Mets cannot use any of these starters in any kind of capacity. Like, you know, some people talked about Luke Casey coming out as the second lefty. And with Robertson now being potentially the closer, that double lefty benefit that you had leading up to Diaz, and Diaz was is great. He's better against lefties than righties a lot of times. You've lost that, so you've had to downgrade the bullpen. You can't really, at this point, you can't afford the luxury because you're going to need these guys stretched out at Syracuse making starts. Eliza Hernandez, Luke Casey. Jose Buto, maybe McGill at some point, because I don't think they're going to go six starters the entire year. I think they're going to ease into the season. It's almost like in listening to Buck, the Mets are looking to not extend spring training, but build this thing up. I said this before. I've said it a number of times. I said it a lot last year. The Mets have a plan, and they're going to stick to the plan, and they're going to look at the long game. And if that means they become a wild card team instead of a division winner, if they're set up in their minds at a better place from a health perspective and from the pitchers peaking at the right time of the year, they're going to do that. They don't care about the division trophy. They are playing the really long game, and that seems to be what Billy Upler has been all about. So they're going to start out with a six-man rotation. But really the debate, I don't quite get it, and I am not a pitching expert. I'm not sitting here pretending that I'm no Jeremy Hefner. I'm just a guy with a show who has a unique perspective, and I think I have a lot of common sense when it comes to the game of baseball. But... To me, when I read that the Mets really like McGill, I think that's the ultimate tease. I think McGill is the ultimate tease. He has good stuff. He throws hard. He's going to give you some lights-out performances and stretches like he did in April last year. And he's going to dazzle you like he did opening day in, in Washington. But in the long run, the mechanics, the health, the consistency, if I had to put my money down on who's going to think back, the Mets play the long game, who's going to be there for the long game, I think it's going to be David Peterson. I mean, since the day he got drafted at Oregon, this is the guy that um, uh, profiled as a back-end of the rotation guy, six innings, three runs, maybe give you better. I think ultimately what Peterson is going to frustrate you with is length. I think the walks are going to drive his pitch count up. They're probably going to allow one or two more runs than you like. He's a guy that's going to get to the fifth inning, get out of the fifth inning, maybe give you up three runs. You know, that's an ERA that's going to go a little north of four. 
and he's going to be inconsistent, and you're going to have nights like you saw in September against the Cubs where he's going to drive you batty and say, why tonight? And it might be a night where your offense gives you some runs and you lose and when you don't want to lose. Um, but I think that it really isn't a debate. They're both going to start, but I think right now David Peterson has become really important, and, and we'll get to the bullpen a little bit, but you have to think about it. The 2023 Mets right now, as we head into the final days of spring training, we're less than two weeks from the season starting. There is no doubt in my mind right now that this team right now, from a projection standpoint, is not as good as last year. And I would not have said that just 48 to 72 hours ago before the Diaz injury. And I'll tell you why. They can be as good as last year, and they can be better. Even with Diaz being out, because I think the guys over at Mets Fix said it best, that you're looking to address high leverage innings. You can't replace Diaz. You have to address the leverage innings. And now you're going to be relying on Robertson, who has closer experience. And who knows? We talked about John Curtis coming in and maybe getting those leverage innings later on, those high leverage innings later on. But when you look at the team as a whole, the offense without Correa, there we go, we said it again, is as good as last year. You could say that. They still have the same depth issues in the outfield that they had last year. And yeah, you have Vientos, who's really, to me, Vientos looked really good at first base yesterday. I watched him. I thought he looked good at first base and has had a good spring spring with the bat. Beatty, actually, when I, a couple of balls I saw him play yesterday, I thought he looked pretty good at third base. Let's hope he, he's finally getting it. And we know that his bat has played well. Todd Zeal actually compared him to John Olerud. If Beatty is anywhere near John Olerud and makes the improvements defensively that John Olerud did, sign me up now, Right? So offensively, even with those depth pieces, those young depth pieces, let's say the Mets are as good as they were last year. We don't know if their rotation is as good. We certainly think with Verlander and Scherzer, that is as good of a one-two punch as you're ever going to get. It's as good as Maddox Smoltz or Randy Johnson, Kurt Schilling, or Pedro Kurt Schilling, or pick whatever one-two punch that you want to put out there in the history of baseball. That's that's a Hall of Fame one-two punch. They stay healthy. That's going to give you a better one-two punch than Scherzer, who was hurt a number of times last year, and DeGrom, who was hurt for most of the year. And when he came back, let's face it, DeGrom had a couple of flashy outings, but he was not down the stretch Jacob DeGrom that we know and love. Let's be honest there. And Verlander t- pitched much better than Jacob DeGrom last year when he was out on the mound. So you know you're better there. You may be the same in the back in the rotation with Carrasco, Peterson, and then who knows what Quintana gives you? But you don't know what Kodai Senga is going to give you. So with Kodai Senga being a variable, he can be better than Bassett and pop into that, you know, he has stretches where he's a number one or number two. The bullpen, which was better in the strength, which was allowing me to digest the potential downgrade in the rotation, especially because you don't think you're going to get length out of Peterson. You don't think you're going to get length all the time about Carrasco. You don't think you're going to get length out of Kodai Singa. There will be some restrictions on Verlander and Scherzer at certain points. So you're going to have to go to the bullpen maybe for 12 outs. You lost three of the biggest outs in all of baseball when Diaz went down. The bullpen cannot be considered better right now on paper unless you adapt and adjust to who's going to be the closer or a different closing philosophy where it's a committee situation. And potentially, let's go back to what I said last week. Where are these lab got rats? Who is going to step up? Is it Ridings? Uh, is it Brigham? Uh, is there a name like Hartwig coming up that's going to step up? Can Tommy Hunter get the last vestiges of good bullpen out of his arm making the club? You know, what are they going to do 
with the unknown factor because right now all this noise about going out and, and acquiring Alexis Diaz because you want another Diaz in there. Eventually, I know that's what everybody wants, and it sounds like that's something Diaz wants. And sure, the Reds are like, hey, yeah, we, we, we haven't heard from Billy Epler. Give us a call because the Reds are like, I could probably get, you know, you want Alexis Diaz right now? You need a closer? You don't have a closer for the year? Brett Beatty, Mark Vientos, Ronnie Mauricio, they want to steal an elite position talent for what is three outs for a pitcher that we don't know what version of Diaz he's going to be. So my point here is this, that right now the Mets are not as good as they were a year ago. They're not profiling to me as a 100-win team right now because I have all these questions. These questions have to be answered, and that's what ding, 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 the getting-to-know-you phase is. Um, do I think they're done? Do I think that they're uh, uh, you know, not a playoff contender? Of course not. But David Peterson, just like Tyler McGill, just like Kodai Senga, just like these lab rats that want to throw out all these you know, arms that the Mets acquired, have a lot to prove right now. And we have about, the good news is, with multiple wild card spots, you probably can mess around until July right now figuring it out. Now, you may get knocked out of a division, potentially, because you have to play at a high level in the, in the NL East. You have the, 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 the pennant winners and the Phillies. You have the Braves. And last year, it took you 100 wins to finish it, 101 wins to finish in a tie. And the margin of error is very small. So, unfortunately, the Mets are in a situation where they need time to figure stuff out. I don't think, and I never thought, for a variety of reasons, that they'd get off to the same hot start they did last year because of the WBC, because of the rules. And, and obviously, my big thing all spring was Senga. You know, what do you have here? But we have spent now nearly a month, if not more, assessing the things that we talked about during pitchers and catchers. What is Senga? We still kind of, you know, have the conclusion he's a work in progress, but he has potential. What is the depth situation? Well, you got McGill and Peterson, and you need those depth pieces now. What about the bullpen? Well, the depth in the bullpen, which we thought was going to bridge the gap with double headers and, and overuse and maybe get you some outs in the sixth or fifth inning or seventh inning, now you need to push everybody up because Diaz has this tragic injury. You know, so right now, you know, look, Peterson and what Peterson is kind of symbolizes the entire Mets start of the season. Got to see. We got to see more. We need guys to step up. It can't be about, you know, what you see now. Oh, let's acquire this guy, acquire that guy. It's not about that. So so that's my feeling on David Peterson. To me, this is his rotation spot to lose. I think you'll get Tyler McGill as a six-starter guy that is going to be shuttled up and down. Uh, and I personally, unless something changes a lot, uh, my prediction is, is that you're going to be much happier in the long run with Peterson in the rotation giving those innings than the flashes of brilliance that McGill can potentially give you because I think the consistency, believe it or not, they're both inconsistent. But I think within that inconsistency, I have more faith that Peterson will become consistent and I have more faith that that elite slider, if he can get ahead of the count, will be the difference maker between the two. And he doesn't have the the, the crossover stats like McGill where lefties just clobber him. And that's a problem. And I know he's working on that, but that's a problem. So, all right, let's take a quick break. When we return, Tim LaCastro making a comeback here? A guy that was a scrap heap uh, pickup that nobody thought would make the roster? Can he actually make this roster, at least for a little bit, out of spring training due to Brandon Nimmo's injury? And what role can LaCastro play? And I'll tell you what, he does have elite, and I like to use that word, elite components to his game. And I think he's going to be big down the stretch this year. Similar to Terrence Score, but better. You're listening to the Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And this one shot in a right. That's going to get down for a base hit. Gomez comes up. Here comes the throw toward the plate. It's cut off. Play at second is going to be not in time. Locastro in full stride, never stopped running. He hustles into second, and the Mets are on the board. All right, we're back, and you know it's that time of spring training where if I'm talking about Tim Locastro, either there's crazy injuries or nothing to talk about, and it may be a little bit of both, but I got to tell you, the guy has actually impressed me a little bit because he's hit, and I want to temper this because I'm the first one to say a lot of 4A guys out there, you know, veterans like LeCastro clearly have to have big springs, and they put everything into the spring, just like DJ Stewart with the cycle yesterday against the Cardinals, because this could be their last shot. I mean, they got to play these games like they're, they're regular season games, and there are other guys like a Starling Marte, like a Brandon Nimmo, guys like that that are just getting their work in. Now, the Nimmo injury really reared uh, its ugly head in the sense where that's the one area where the Mets really can't afford to, to lose a player. And that's not just from the core offensive players. Like When you lose your closer, your elite closer, the best closer in baseball, I want to say it's Hayter, Diaz, it's either one or two. He's there. You could survive that to a certain degree and piece together – obviously maybe with some reinforcements either from the minor leagues or from outside the organization, a bullpen that could win a championship. I mean, think about it. Was Daniel Hudson was the Nationals' closer when they won a title in 2019? You know, Rafael Montero for the Astros pretty much last year. Um, you know, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. Does it, there are teams that win a championship, and it's not like they had the best closer in baseball the whole time. Josh Hader and the Brewers have never won a championship with Josh Hader as the closer. Uh, but it's the ninth inning. We all know that. And it's regardless of what the analytical people say, the analytics say, those three outs are different than any other three outs throughout the game. So when you lose that, you could mitigate it by putting together math and getting some high leverage arms to get out to the sixth inning and pushing guys up. And fortunately, they have Robertson, who has some experience, and Curtis, who may be a sleeper, and Adovino, who you know, could close and has experienced late in games. They're not Diaz, but you get where I'm going. But when you start to chip away at an offense that is built to be very component-driven with a big bopper in the middle with Alonzo, that's a dangerous thing. They really, that, that's where this thing could get wonky. Now, you could say, well, the Mets and Billy Epler said it when they went into the offseason and they talked about how with, uh, you know, all the free agents they had, especially on the pitching side, could they feel confident that without dipping into the financial resources on offense, could they mitigate that with some of their depth? And the answer was yes, because you have Vientos, you have Beatty, um, you have Alvarez. You know, maybe at some point Mauricio, you know, could learn to play the outfield, and maybe he becomes, uh, you know, he's a component of that. But remember, 
with your DH platoon, which can be very good if those guys hit against the opposite pitching side, Vogelback against right-handed pitching, Ruff against left-handed pitching. Those guys are DHs. That's it. I mean, yeah, they could probably play first base, but that's it. Your outfield becomes a situation where you need health, and you got one guy coming off a double hernia surgery. You got another guy almost blew out his knee, and then you got Canna, who's okay, but is truly a component player. And then if you have to shift McNeil out there, okay, great. Now you take him out of second base and you put Guillaume in there. Well, Guillaume's more of a glove guy, table setter guy. You lose a lot of power at that point. So you could have yourself, and I know that Tommy Pham's in there, but Tommy Pham was brought in to hit left-handed pitching, and maybe he can be an everyday player for 7 to 10 days. I know he did it and played pretty well in Tampa, but typically he's a below-league average hitter. You know, by and large, that's what he is. I know he played every day for San Diego a couple of years ago on base guy. But he's not a guy that's going to take uh, the downgrade from an elite offensive player like a Marte, like a Nimmo, to Fam is big. And to a certain degree, with Canna as well. So now you're looking at guys like DJ Stewart. You're looking at LeCastro. And you say to yourself, well, if the Mets need 7 to 10 days, 2 weeks, a month, like they needed with Marte, you know, what do these guys offer? So to me, DJ Stewart, what he offers is he's a three-true outcome guy, a walk, a home run, a strikeout. He could pop you a home run. He could maybe have days like he had uh, in spring training yesterday, but my guess is he had that against uh, 4A type of guys or not the best of the best. I mean, there was no Arenado in that lineup yesterday. There was no Goldschmidt. Uh, yeah, Dakota Hudson pitched, but it wasn't like they were facing all the Cardinals' best pitchers. Um, so you have that. Uh, you look at some of the Mets' depth chart here. You know, Abraham Almonte. Yeah, there's a 4A name. Uh, let's keep going here. What else do we have here? Uh, I'm getting to a point here, but uh, and I just lost my space here. Uh, Jalen Davis. Um, you know, clearly has all those issues, so we're not even going to count him. But but you get where I'm going here. You know, there's a number of guys who are 4A filler. Now, LaCastro falls into that. However... And I know DJ Stewart was actually a first-round pick, so I shouldn't just throw him away. But he's a guy that has never really got it together. But Castro has one component of his game that is really elite. And he would be, if he played every day, and when he played every day, I think it was either 2017 or 2018, he would fall within the top 15 to 20 in baseball in this particular uh, attribute. And that's base running. He's an elite base runner. And he's not bad defensively. I think right field is his best position from a statistical analysis. Uh, but his bat is significantly below league average. I mean, look, we've got now, in his career, he's only got 549 plate appearances in six years, but that's over a full season. He's a guy that's got a 77 OPS plus, a 656 OPS. He's a guy that probably in a full season will hit you, uh, you know, five or six home runs, hit about 220, 230. And when he gets on base... He's going to steal you about 25, 30 bags. And now with the bigger bases and the pickoff rules, maybe that goes up. But, you know, let's face it, uh, he's Terrence Gore, but maybe with a little more pop in the bat. And that's a good thing. Now, I think LaCastro and the excitement of LaCastro is all fine and dandy. You know, he's another guy like Canna likes to hit by pitches. I mean, between if he was in the lineup with Nimmo or Canna, I mean, would anybody ever, like, swing the bat or would they just walk around the bases getting hit? I mean, there'd be a lot of strawberries on the, their arms or black, black and blues and stuff like that. Um, but right now, I do not, and this is really a big problem. You know, even with a LaCastro, the Mets downgrade, if their outfield goes down, is huge. 
I mean, you could see a situation where, God forbid, Nimmo's herniated disc or Marte's uh, hernia acts up. I mean, you could be looking at a, a DJ Stewart, LaCastro outfield with Cannon center. Could you imagine that? Yeah, Tommy Pham might be in there. I mean, this offense goes from potent to below league average pretty quickly. Now, you talk about Escobar, you got Beatty. You talk about DH with Ruff, you got Vientos. Mauricio, I don't think is ready, but we'll put him aside. Behind the plate, Nito and, and Narvaez are not working uh, working out. You've got the number three prospect in all baseball in Alvarez. But the outfield, big problem. And it's actually the scariest part of this whole thing because you don't have, and I guess if you had Pete Carmstrong in the organization, I know everyone's going to rue that whole thing with Baez. I'm not going to get into that. That's going to be the new Kelnick, by the way. It's, it's kind of starting a little bit. But that's going to be the new Kelnick. And God forbid Kelnick rebounds this year and Pete Carl Armstrong's ripping up AAA. Oh, my Lord. You're not going to hear the end of it. But Kelnick, I think we could put into the, the back burner because Diaz has eliminated that. But Pete Carl Armstrong is the guy that they're going to start to rue. So um, exciting to see what LeCastro's doing. I think LeCastro at some point, the debate, especially as you get deeper and deeper into this thing, it's going to be, hey, um, do you have him? as a guy that potentially is your 26th man instead of that extra bullpen arm going into a postseason series. And he'll definitely, if he's still in the organization at the time, he's definitely going to be number 27 or 28 in September call-ups. Um, now, we're assuming, because I don't think he's going to make the roster unless Nimmo's not ready. If Nimmo's not ready, I put him on the roster. Now, he's out of options, so he's going to have to clear waivers. I'm not sure that that's a gimme. I mean, there might be a team that needs a backup outfield that sees what he does, did this spring and says, oh, let me grab him. But it is interesting that this is a guy, if they could keep him in AAA and he's still the organization, I definitely see him being brought up in September. I definitely see him being a better option than Terrence Gore. Um, I definitely think that if they need to plug in somebody, especially if they're missing Nimmo at the top of the lineup, this is the guy to go. And I think it really uh, shows you Mets got to see what's going on in terms of the outfield. They need to develop some outfield talent. They don't have much. Mauricio might become that guy, could play a corner. He might become more important than you think. It's really interesting. So I'm excited about Castro. Uh, Castro, Low Castro. Excited about Low Castro. I said Castro. Did I say Castro this whole time? Was it Low Castro? Low Castro. But it just goes to show you how thin the Mets outfield depth is. Yeah, you got some versatility there with McNeil. But uh, it, it is quite scary. And no, I saw some things out there. Eduardo Escobar at second base. If you move McNeil to the outfield and that's where you go for opening day, you put Guillaume at second. You keep Escobar at third. You know, maybe you bring Beatty north in that scenario if Nimmo's not on the roster if you don't want to go with Castro. But my guess is they would rather bring him north. And then you're going to have to try to pass him through waivers. It's possible, um, just like Jankowski last year, you're going to lose him if you pass him through waivers too many times. Uh, it's quite possible that that's going to be the case. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up. We'll look at the bullpen. We'll pick up the bullpen pieces one last time as we round out the latest edition of the Grapefruit Roundup. You're listening to Talking Mets Podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets Podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets Podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at 
TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon and enjoy the rest of the show. We're back. Final thoughts. Latest edition of the Talking Mets podcast. So if you need any kind of indication about where the Mets are going to go in the short term between now and in the trade deadline to fill those extra outs in the bullpen, it's not, like I said earlier, it's not about to go out and run and get an Alexis Diaz or go after an elite closer. That'd be foolish. You're going to overpay right now in March and nobody's going to give up to you anyway. It's to go and find lottery tickets. And that's what exactly what they did by getting Dennis Santana off of waivers from Minnesota, who wasn't having a terrible uh, spring. Now, Dennis Santana is a former top Dodgers prospect. Believe it or not, if you go back to some of the old lists from 2017, 2018, he was graded higher than Will Smith, their their catcher, Gavin Lux. Uh, so uh, this is not a guy that was chump change. You know, this is not a guy that... You know, he's jumped around a little bit and bounced around a little bit. And, and pretty much because of what the projections were all the way back five or six years ago. He's a guy that has a lot of upside, um, saw some possibility as a starter, but failed as a starter. And because of shaky command and lack of secondary pitches, uh, they looked at him as possibly in the bullpen. And to me, it's as simple as this. You know, Dennis Santana with this great arm, and I saw some, you know, clips with his stuff. I mean, that's the thing. Everybody likes to put out clips of a guy's stuff. And quite honestly, anybody could throw a filthy pitch in a vacuum. But he's a guy that needs to get his walk rate way down from that four to five per nine. And he, he it goes back to a lot of these hard throwers. They all remind me of Miguel Castro. I hate to keep going back to Castro because he drove me nuts when he was here. A lot of you guys liked him. And there were plenty of times where Castro would give you periods of time where he was was really effective but ultimately he would either hit a batter walk the ballpark get in trouble and then serve up a gopher ball and he was the kind of pitcher that I just wanted the Mets to move away from in the bullpen give me somebody who throws strikes I mean the biggest thing and I think this is really even now I've said this more important than ever before. It's this fundamental importance from the day that the game was invented. It doesn't matter if you're talking about baseball in the 1900s, 1980s, 2000, you know, 2010. You got to keep runners off. The walks are a killer. They're just a killer. So a guy like Santana throwing strike one, keeping the walks down, keeping runners off base that now could pretty much get a double if they have any kind of speed and they work the, the pickoff throws at first base um walks become that much more insidious it really is but if you look at what the Mets did and who knows if Santana is going to make the roster I mean um you know right now I'm looking for him here he doesn't have any options he's got three years of service time so he's somewhat controllable in terms of cost not totally cheap but he's got some controllability there I'm guessing they're going to give him a couple a week or so to see what they got I'm guessing he's going to come north so look your bullpen now, you, lo- you had five really solid options. You're down to four. You got Robertson, Adovino, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, John Curtis. I'll, I'll put Curtis as a five. You had five and then Curtis was six. I'll put Curtis as a five. And then you got Tommy Hunter, number six, the veteran. That's probably his non-roster invitee. They, they can make room now for him. Mean, they'll make room for Santana. Diaz goes to 60-day disabled list. And then Negosek. So you got Hunter. So you got Robertson, Adovino, Rayleigh, Drew Smith, John Curtis, Tommy Hunter. Now, here's the interesting part. So you do eight and five. 
So do you do Robertson out of Vino, Rayleigh, Smith, Curtis, five, Tommy Hunter, six, Nagosik, seven, Santana, eight. To me, that's how it's going to play out. So that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and then the five starters. Now, the problem with that is you hear Buck talking about McGill uh, becoming a six starter to start the season. Well, the only options you have here, now, Drew Smith has some options, and Curtis apparently has an option. But if he's going to be good, they're not going to want to option him down. You really, if you bring Santana North with Nagosik, both of those guys do not have options. You're gonna probably you're probably gonna lose Santana to waivers. Some bad team is gonna take Santana off your hands. So I don't know what the plan is there. If they weren't gonna bring him north, I don't know why they would take him on. They obviously saw something there. And, you know, okay, Peterson has options. Do you shuttle with the six starter Peterson up and down? You only get five bites of that apple. So it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out. And I don't think you're going to go and option a Guillaume who does have some options uh, and be short an infielder. So the really interesting part about the Mets roster is that they went out there, they talked about not bringing in more veteran arms because they wanted guys that are optionable, but they really don't have any optionable guys that are performing. The riding, Ridings is not going to make it. Coonrod is is out because he's hurt. Uh, Deoka is out because he's hurt. It's you know it's really interesting that the whole concept of why they didn't go after any veteran, which I don't totally agree with, but you know, look, I understand with all the money they spent, I can't really complain that they didn't go out and bring in an Andrew Chafin to be the sixth or seventh best pitcher in the bullpen. I mean, it's a little ridiculous. I mean, you could always get those guys during the season. I know what they're saying, um, but if you look at this bullpen right now, uh, you're probably going north with that group, and the way the Mets are going to address. The open spot is they're not going to go out and replace Diaz. They're going to try some lottery tickets. A Ridings is going to get a shot. Uh, maybe a Hartwig at some point. Santana. You know, they're going to see whatever they got left out of Nagosik. The only part where maybe you, you know, you know, this is the thing. I thought Brigham was going to make it, um, but he has options, so he probably won't. You know, and that's that's really the interesting part here is that you have guys with options, but you're going to have to send somebody down or release somebody like a hunter at some point, who doesn't? So you really don't have the flexibility unless you're talking about Drew Smith here, who is considered a core part of that bullpen, unless he performs at a level which they say, hey, you know, he's not. Um, You know, as far as where they go, we talked about this on Friday. I'm not sure 100% Robertson will always be the closer. I could see them mixing it up a little bit. I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for Drew Smith and Curtis, especially a guy like Curtis who is, uh, you know, Got paid to rehab last year. I think he's making like $800,000 this year, maybe a million bucks. This is his chance to show that he can be now post-Tommy John that high-leverage reliever that he was becoming when the Brewers acquired him from Miami back in 2021 and maybe get himself a a nice contract. I mean, ironically, I know he's trying out to be a starter in San Diego, but you know what would make me feel better if with Diaz being out is having Lugo back? And I was fine with him letting Lugo go because I know that Lugo was at a point in his career where he wanted to do something else. Uh, in terms of not, you know, he never, I know he downgraded and he wasn't because of his, either it was his ability to get up multiple times or pitch four, four out of five days. It seemed like after that dominant 2019 and to a certain degree 2018 when he came out of the bullpen first, Lugo never lived up to those expectations. And some of that was the shuttling to the rotation in 2020. And then, you know, maybe that, you know, partially torn tendon is finally ruining, rearing its ugly head. 
So it'll be interesting. So that's where we pick up the piece of the bullpen. I find it interesting that the Mets acquire a guy off of waivers. That's a lottery ticket in Santana. Doesn't have options. Nagosik doesn't have options. Hunter doesn't have options. They need options. So one of two things is going to happen in the next week. Either they're just going to ride with these guys, hope that they could sneak them through waivers, either end of March, early in the season, and not lose them. Maybe they feel they could play that game. Or there's a trade in the works where they're going to try to trade one of them to a team that needs a bullpen arm for maybe something of value, an optionable reliever, an optionable starter. You're not going to get a lot for Nagosik. I don't think you're going to get anything for Santana. They would acquire him of waivers if the team that would get him. Um, so it will be interesting how that works. It's just a, a, a weird dynamic. So anyway, that's all I have for you. The latest grapefruit edition of, edition of the Talking Mets podcast. I know I had said I wasn't going to come to you because we had the, the the trumpets go silent. You know, the whole Edwin Diaz therapy hour back on Friday. But this Peterson situation, the fact that they acquired Santana, you know, where they've gone so far made me want to talk a little bit about the back end of the roster. When you're talking about Tim LaCastro, you really are at the point of spring training where it's like, hey, time for the bell to ring. We want to talk about some meaningful games here. So anyway, uh, we'll be back with another edition next week. So don't worry. I'm sure there'll be plenty to talk about. Maybe try to get a guess. We'll start to get into the season preview. You know, I kind of gave you an inkling that I think the Mets are a good team, but I'm not quite sure that last year's level. I also think this is going to be a different type of season. Let me hold off on getting into that now. We'll get into that next week as we prepare to look at 2023 and and the early phase of 2023, what I think is going to happen and how the Mets can navigate that. So, hey, you can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. You can also get me on Instagram, Talkamets no G. And I want to thank the good folks from the fan sided podcasting network and risingapple.com for their support. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talkamets podcast next week. No injuries, no special edition uh, shows, but stay away from that. Till then, take care, everybody. Hey.